Hey everyone, welcome to Go Bold. This episode is part of our Bleeding Edge series, where we discuss new products, platforms, concepts, technologies, and groundbreaking events. So we are all aware of the dire geopolitical and security events that are taking place in the world today. And that includes the war in Ukraine and the Israel-Hamas conflict and the instability of that region. Of particular note is the security situation in the Red Sea, where naval vessels and commercial shipping have come under attack from ballistic missiles and from UAVs, which are otherwise known as drones. These events have disrupted global shipping, and that has far-reaching implications for us all. The threat posed by drones is very real, and it is a concern to navies and to ship operators around the world. And as a result, companies like Federal Fleet Services, which owns and operates the combat support ship Asterix, and lease its capabilities to the Royal Canadian Navy, have recognized this growing problem and have invested their own money to research, select, and integrate a counter-UAS, or counter-drone system, onto the Asterix. After looking at various options, Federal Fleet Services selected the Mars NIDAR counter UAS system as the best solution available. So in this episode, we visited the combat support ship Asterix when it was in port at Canadian Forces Base Esquimalt, and we had the privilege to interview John Schmidt, the President and CEO of Federal Fleet Services, who spoke about the selection of the Mars NIDAR counter UAS system, and we also spoke with Ryan Walker, who is also with Federal Fleet Services, and he described the components, capabilities, and the installation of the NIDAR system. And he also described working with the Royal Canadian Navy to validate and implement new tactics, techniques, and procedures for using the system. This cutting-edge technology is of critical importance for the threats faced by ships around the world. So it will be interesting to see how the modularity of the system will enable future enhancements if desired. It's a great chat about new technology and new capabilities that will extend the eyes and ears of the Asterix. So let's roll the music and get at it. I am on board the Asterisk Combat Support Ship, which is owned by Federal Fleet, and I am joined by John Schmidt, who is the CEO and President of Federal Fleet. John, thank you so much for taking the time. Jody, great to have you on board. Uh, you know, this is a proud moment anytime we get an opportunity to talk to folks and uh, spread the word about what we're doing here on the Asterisk, because we're not standing on our laurels, the fact that we've been operating for six years uh, flawlessly with the RCN and our, our NATO allies in providing uh, combat support ship capabilities such as refueling, uh, cargo transfers, landing helicopters, providing HADR capabilities to the Navy and to, the, uh, to our NATO countries. So uh, we're kind of excited today because we've had you on board, Jody, to show you a little bit about what we're planning for the future. So one of the important things for us, uh, for our crew and our ship, is to be able to defend her in some of the domains that we operate. So uh, we are installing the NIDAR system. I think you just had an explanation of that. 
and that is being totally funded by Federal Fleet Services. So we decided that we need to invest in the in the security of our people uh, and our and our ship as well. So uh, drones, as we all know, have become uh, the scourge in in warfare today. And not that we'll be operating in a war zone. Supply ships don't operate uh, actively in war zones. We we do supply vessels that work in war zones, but we're usually standing back away from the, the actual action. However, uh, sometimes the action comes upon you without you even know it, and uh, that's where drones come in. So uh, we decided to, uh, we went through a fairly rapid selection process and selected the Mars NIDAR system. Right. Um, we found them to be the best system available on the market today. It's, uh, this is not technology that's uh, exploratory. This is a proven system, and uh, that system has an ability to detect drones for about 250 miles out, and then we can decide what sort of actions, defensive actions we take to protect ourselves from uh, that activity. So, It's a really neat capability, John, and um, the fact that Federal Fleet is leading this initiative um, obviously speaks to exactly what you spoke about. You know, you want to protect the crew that it's a Federal Fleet crew that is on board this ship, but it's also Royal Canadian Navy personnel. So um, talk to me a little bit about integrating this capability onto Astris and the coordination you've had with the Royal Canadian Navy to do so. Right. So um, obviously, the Navy has a vested interest in everything that we do on board the ship, and rightly so. Under our Provision of Services Agreement, which the general public would refer to as a lease, um, we work together collaboratively on everything we do. So we came to the Navy with the, um, our idea, our intent, to move forward with installing a drone protection system, or as some people call it, counter UAS capability. So we discussed and dialogued with the Navy, and basically looking to seek their permission, but also their collaboration in the installation to make sure that they uh, felt we were doing everything possible to eliminate the risk to their crew, but also to the vessel, and also any neighboring vessels that are working with us. In other words, that we have no spurious signals that could trigger a misoperation on their vessels. So we're going through all those uh, engineering activities, design studies, if you will, uh, taking all the measures necessary to protect against that. And uh, we said basically to the Navy at the highest level, until you are 100% comfortable with what we've done and what we're doing on installing the NIDAR system, we will not operate that system. And so that's how we're walking through this process. Uh, you've seen some naval personnel on board the vessel today. So they're working with us as we, as we make progress in the install. We're showing what we're doing. And then once the system's installed and commissioned, they'll be part of the commissioning process. And as part of the uh, standard operating procedures that we're developing collaboratively, and how we'll actually operate the system when we're at sea. So it's very important that, that we're in lockstep together as we move forward. And, and that's been the way we've operated in the last six years, Joy. Uh, everything we do, every standard operating procedure, every RAS operation, every cargo transfer, everything we do is in collaboration, one party working with the other. And it's been a fantastic model uh, of, of success. And, uh, you know, we're building on a history of this kind of success because those who are around my age uh, remember, some, somewhat remember, 
uh, you know, the success that we achieved in, in World War II with the Merchant Mariners. Right. You know, they were the backbone of the resupply of Europe. Uh, and uh, everybody knows the history of, of what happened uh, in the resupply in the Battle of the North Atlantic that uh, the Merchant Mariners, uh, I'll say, not led the charge, but were participating alongside their naval brethren in the success of World War II. So, and there's lots of examples moving forward through history where navies have collaborated with merchant mariners to deliver the service. And we believe we're doing it here. What we're doing here is exemplary. And I think the record shows it. Uh, no lost days at sea. I find that, that specific metric so incredibly impressive. Uh, no lost days at sea. So, therefore, every mission that you, that the asterisk has been tasked with, that Federal Fleet has committed to, you guys have been there. And That's right, Jody. Yep. We just finished a mission where we did 95 straight days at sea. I think we did 32 or 34 RAS operations. We, uh, we were actually deployed for 85 of those days, and all the missions were achieved. It's a wonderful testament to this capability and to the Federal Fleet um, initiative to develop this capability and to get it out there to the customer. Uh, in this case, the Royal Canadian Navy and Allied navies that you guys are supporting. That, that's right, and I think it's important to mention that we, you know, I think we've done as many RASs with our NATO brethren as we have with the RCN. So, again, we're projecting Canadian technology, we're projecting Canadian capability, and I think that's what what the beauty of of uh, the Asterix has been. It's been a, a shining example of what Canada can achieve when we really put initiative together. And uh, so everybody that operates the ship, very proud to be part of, uh, uh, almost consider themselves as part of the Navy, serving, you know, and uh, ready, I ready to, to help our brethren anytime. I love it. I love it. Thank you, John. That was wonderful. I appreciate you explaining my, that. My pleasure. Thank you. So, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to Go Bold. I am on board the Asterisk Combat Support Ship, and we are in Esquimalt, British Columbia right now. And I'm joined with Ryan Walker, who is with Federal Fleet Services. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, really a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So uh, you're going to give me a little bit of a briefing on the NIDAR installation, which will go on MV Asterisk. Um, please feel free to start and, and just talk me through what, what NIDAR is and what it will bring to this ship. Yeah, absolutely. And again, appreciate the time uh, today to... Uh, to talk with you. Uh, just a brief introduction of me, uh, Ryan Walker. I'm the IT communications manager with Federal Fleet Services. I've been with uh, Federal Fleet since uh, early November of 2022. Um, previously uh, worked at St. Mary's University in Halifax, Nova Scotia in their IT department. And then the prominent portion of my career was 27 years in the Canadian Army as a signals officer. Uh, so sort of coming back home to Asterix in terms of that uh, working with or integration with Canadian Armed Forces. So uh, it was really exciting to join Federal Fleet. presentation I'm going to go through, uh, I'll give you a quick overview of what NIDAR is. Uh, we're going to show where we're going to be placing new sensors or capabilities on board the ship. And then go through the, the long list of partners that are helping us out with this installation. Uh, as we say, it takes a village uh, and it's not just myself uh, and the Mars team putting this together for us, there is a, a long list of uh, suppliers and contractors that are helping us out with installation. And obviously we'll, we'll end off with any uh, discussion points or any questions on topics or areas that uh, we want a little bit more information on. 
Awesome. Thank you. So the NIDAR overview, if you ask, uh, you know, in the, in the six months or so that I've been working with Mars, and of course I've asked them, what does NIDAR stand for? Is it an acronym? Is it something real? Uh, they actually, uh, the team that I was working with, they came back with, NIDAR is actually from Somali mythology, and it's the god of making right from wrong. So there is a bit of background of what NIDAR is. It's not some fancy acronym. Uh, it's a bit of Somali uh, mythology uh, to, to say, you know, making right from wrong. Uh, and that's really what NIDAR does. It, it, it is an analytical capability that, that takes any sensors that you want to integrate with the system, uh, does analysis, and then provides options to an operator uh, with respect to, in our case, specifically looking at counter-unmanned aerial systems, or commonly known as drones. Uh, and that's really what system is. It's a counter-drone capability where uh, we're able to extend the ears and eyes of Asterix out even further using NIDAR to understand or have better situational awareness of our surroundings with respect to drones, but also small craft as well uh, that this system will be able to, to pick up and analyze. So just briefly, you know, talking about extending our eyes and ears, you know, we're now out, we're able to see and hear out to beyond 25 kilometers. And with, uh, I'll go through later the sensors that we'll be putting on board, uh, but the radar systems that will be on board will be able to start picking up uh, those uh, drones or small craft. I'll use the term target. Uh, that's not to say that it's, it's safe or a threat, but just in general terms, the target gets uh, detected. And as it comes closer to Asterix, we're able to start adding other layers of sensors and capabilities. Uh, we start listening to the radio waves. So we'll have radio frequency interceptors on board that will listen to those, both those connections that uh, are um, controlling the drones uh, but also the common commercial beacons and transponders that are out there that commercial aircraft and commercial shipping use to announce their position or transpond. We're going to add those in and we're going to bring in more radio frequency intercept capabilities to do that larger analysis. And as we get closer in, we'll be able to bring visual aids such as a new camera on board to actually visually see to allow the operator to make an, a more informed decision where NIDAR will be saying, hey, I see this, I hear this, this is what I think it is. And then the operator has to decide whether it's safe or a threat based on that information or based on a visual analysis using, for example, the camera. I just want to, you know, I'm trying to reinforce that NIDAR will do nothing other than present what it is seeing and hearing. The operator on the bridge will be making those decisions to uh, affect that target to decide whether it's safe or a threat. And if it is a threat, then look at some of the countermeasures or other capabilities that we'll have on board available to them to address that situation. So where are we putting NIDAR? And this is all net new pieces of equipment or sensors on board. We'll also be leveraging some things that are already on board, like our AIS system, our X-band radar. Uh, we'll be integrating those in or pulling in the feeds from those systems into NIDAR to assist with its analysis. So these are the items that are, are net new, uh, and we'll just start at the flag mast. Uh, we'll be looking to place a, an S-band RPS-42 radar, uh, basically an air surveillance radar. Uh, also, uh, the ADSB Ping Station 3 is the commercial uh, air uh, transponder receptor, uh, so we'll be able to receive any of the commercial airlines transponders. Uh, the Night Navigator 4485, it's a current corp uh, camera product uh, that provide day and night. And then an RF, uh, Skyview RF intercept dome on the main mast. On the bridge, 
uh, top bridge, sorry, uh, will be a loud hailer and a searchlight on both the starboard and port sides. And then on the bridge, we'll be installing a brand new console that will support a 55-inch touchscreen console. And as well, we'll have a smaller 27-inch screen off in the center line uh, to support the bridge staff. It gives them two locations to be able to observe NIDAR from a, a small workstation perspective, but then also to have a consultation or a round table, so to speak, on the 55-inch touchscreen. And then down on main deck, we'll be installing the NIDAR servers uh, in one of our, our server facilities on board. So just going quickly through, as I said, the RPS-42 S-band radar. It's an air surveillance radar in best conditions. It'll provide a range of approximately 20 to 30 kilometers. So we'll be able to start seeing those aerial targets. And it is focused down to the Class II drone, where, you know, not the miniature or, or micro drones, but those sort of next level up, uh, we'll be able to see those out uh, again uh, at the 20 kilometer range. Again, the, the Ping Station 3, uh, that's the commercial transponder, that has a range of approximately 300 kilometers. So we'll be able to really stretch out uh, and be able to hear uh, those commercial uh, airliners or other commercial aircraft that have those transponders. Uh, that'll give us that extra uh, information on what we're seeing. As I said, the current Corp Night Navigator 4485, so night and day camera, uh, as well can have visualization of targets out to 20 kilometers. Uh, it also has a laser range finder out to five kilometers and a laser dazzler as well. Skyview uh, MP is a radio frequency intercept. So what it's looking for is the common frequencies that drones are operated from. Typically drones are, are operated in the Wi-Fi ranges, so that two, 2.4 to the five gigahertz range, but also down now they also use sort of the one gigahertz range as well. So this is programmed to be listening to that range of the spectrum and then adding on to that, we'll also be looking at the GPS frequency ranges, which is also another method that is used to control or navigate drones. So it's listening to the radio waves to find those frequencies and listen for items that are being controlled. And it'll also do an assessment of where the drone is, but also do an assessment of where the operator uh, is located uh, that is operating that drone to provide better situational awareness. The LRAD 950NXT loud hailer. So this is a, a loud hailer that can provide either tone or recorded messages out to three kilometers. Uh, again, in best conditions. Uh, it also comes with a, a, a light and a camera of its own. Uh, we'll generally not be using uh, those devices because we'll have the night navigator camera and we'll also have, uh, what I'll talk about next is the, the CL25 searchlight. Again, uh, best conditions, this will uh, project uh, lights out to three kilometers uh, to be able to light up either aerial targets or uh, water surface targets. Uh, I'll just speak to these two items uh, and as well obviously with the camera. Uh, they're all remote controlled from the NIDAR cancel. So the operator can choose a, a capability and then either ask NIDAR to move the capability or point the capability at the target themselves or they can manually say, well, I want to adjust the, uh, the position uh, of the searchlight or I want to move the camera around on my own. So NIDAR will assist where you can tap and say, yes, show me what you see with that target or the operator can say, well, I want to adjust. I want to look at it from a different angle or I, I want to see around that target to see what's going on around it. And then the last uh, bit is, as I mentioned, uh, building a, a custom-made console to support the 55-inch touchscreen and then a small uh, working table to support the smaller 27-inch uh, that gives the bridge staff an option uh, of using either.
Hey folks, here is a message about our sponsor, Cubic Defense. The episode you're hearing today speaks about high-end capabilities. Such capabilities come from the training that warfighters undertake to be the best prepared that they can be. Cubic Defense is a market leader in training operators to be proficient in the application of their platforms for their warfighting mission. From well-integrated instrumentation systems to game-based learning, to multi-domain, blended, live, virtual, and constructive training environments, Cubic Defense remains the U.S. allied and coalition partner of choice to deliver truth in training. Cubic's Total Learning Platform is a maritime, game-based learning platform that has proven to reduce the time-to-train watch standards on U.S. LCS combatants by 90%, and Cubic's blended, live virtual and constructive open standards-based solution enables live and virtual ships and aircraft to train together in a common, secure, synthetic environment. At all levels of combat preparation and execution, Cubic Defense delivers real results. We are proud to have Cubic as a teammate for this podcast, and we thank them for their faith in us to help preserve the voices like our guest today. To learn more about Cubic Defense, please visit them at cubic.com. And now, let's get back to our guest. Uh, talking about all the bits and pieces, you know, you say, oh, that's just a couple of sensors that you have to bolt under the main mast and the flag mast and, you know, uh, not a lot there. Well, it's doing all the connections between those items uh, down to the server room, to the servers, all the uh, cabling required on the, on the bridge to connect all those consoles. You know, you say over a kilometer of cable on a ship, that's not a lot. Uh, if you look at any of the cable runs, there, there's a lot of cable on the ship, but it just shows uh, the complexity of this project and this capability that it's just not running a couple cables uh, up the main mast. Uh, there is a lot of uh, runs to, to be able to do. Multiple junction boxes, uh, lots of power converters uh, around the ship to power these items, make them work, and, and do the interconnections. So as I talked uh, in the introduction, you know, it's not just myself and the Mars team uh, bolting this onto the ship. We've got a laundry list of suppliers and contractors that I really couldn't do this without. And, you know, I really appreciate all the support we're getting from all these organizations. Obviously, Mars is the provider of the NIDAR system. They're the ones that are the, the prime uh, provider of it. Uh, our cable installation is being done by EH uh, Emery here in uh, Victoria. Uh, outstanding assistance from them, as well as uh, Canadian Maritime Engineering. Uh, CME uh, is doing all the sensor installations and bracket fabrication, uh, pretty much anything that has to be made or uh, metal bent, uh, they're providing that support to us. Uh, as we talked about, the uh, Knight uh, Navigator 4485 is from Current Corp, local BC company, really happy to be working with them. Uh, and I believe we're the first Canadian company to actually bring one of their capabilities on board a Canadian, um, a Canadian company buying one of their cameras, so really excited about bringing them on board. Uh, Genesis is a company out of the United States that is providing the LRAD loud hailer. Greg's Maritime Interiors are building the custom uh, consoles and desk up on the bridge. So really excited about uh, bringing them on board and, and helping us out with that. Uh, OSI is our uh, company that provides our, our bridge system. Uh, so we have a bit of feeds that we have to pull off. And as I mentioned earlier, the navigation feeds and the AIS is going to be brought into the NIDAR system. So they're helping us out with some reconfiguration to bring that across. 
NetTomb Cyber is our uh, integral uh, network support organization that uh, provides our network and help desk uh, on the IT computer side. And they're obviously helping with the network connectivity on board and the switching of their NIDAR servers up and through the ship. Seacoast is helping us out. We need to integrate and pull a feed off of our one of our X-band radars on board. Uh, and they're helping us out with providing a unique cable to, to connect in. And then L3, uh, RADHAS stands for Radiation Hazard. Uh, so we're doing a study to really understand uh, what are the hazards that the S-band radar, the RPS-42, uh, brings to the ship. And we have to have that understanding because we have to know when we're operating that radar, where we can have people walking around. But also the unique capability of Astra is that we do refueling, uh, we do ammunition resupply. Uh, so those are two other aspects that we have to do an analysis to say, what is the effect of this radar on fueling operations and also exposure to ammunition, which is an extremely important aspect is what we're doing replenishment at sea, both for fuel and for ammunition. We really want to stand is if we have this radar operating, what is the impact of those operations and make any adjustments to make it safe. And if it means you know, turning the radar off when we're refueling, uh, then we'll do that to ensure that the safety of the personnel, both from Federal Fleet and our partners with the Navy is kept to a high standard. So I'll say that's really uh, the, the big key points that I want to bring to sort of explain what NIDAR is and where we're, we're putting it on the ship and what the capability that it'll bring. And, you know, I like to go back to, it's really extending the eyes and ears uh, of Asterix to provide better situational awareness with respect to drones and small craft uh, that are working in and around the ship uh, and provide a better decision-making tool for the bridge staff and, and, and our partners with uh, Canadian Armed Forces and the Navy uh, to say, this is what I see, this is what I hear, and here's some options for you to make a decision. And so we're really excited about uh, getting the system installed on Asterix. Uh, I've seen some demonstrations. I've, I've worked with the system working with Mars over the last few months. So I'm really excited to see it on the bridge and, and to show the bridge team what this brings to our operations and, and looking forward to uh, getting their feedback on, on what they like and what, what they'd like to see uh, in the future. That's what I have. Uh, are there any questions or any follow-up you have? Yeah, thank you, Ryan. That, that was uh, really interesting, and I, I find it such a... This is so topical today because unmanned aerial vehicles, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're ubiquitous. But, you know, now we've seen examples in, in the war in Ukraine that right. unmanned aerial vehicles are being used as weapons. And so it's a capability, um, the, the ability to locate and hopefully deceive or to warn off mm -hmm. um, unmanned aerial vehicles that could potentially be a threat to a ship like the Asterisk is so important. Right. Um, I find it fascinating that you guys are taking on this initiative. Um, Federal Fleet owns this ship, and so yes. this is a really unique collaboration because I don't believe the Royal Canadian Navy has this capability. And so, as far as I know, Asterisk will be the first ship which is supporting the Royal Canadian Navy that will have such a capability. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Royal Canadian Navy doesn't have NIDAR specifically. Obviously, their ships have other capabilities, and uh, you know, I, I can't really speak to them specifically. I would ask you know to, to to ask that question to them. Sure. But this is now that partnership of saying Federal Fleet has taken the initiative uh, to put this capability on board, and we are working closely with the Royal Canadian Navy right now to talk about. Um, I've just talked about the installation and what it'll do. We have another 
large uh, exercise going on in working with the Navy is, okay, well, how are we going to operationally employ this, this, this great capability? And how do we balance uh, what Asterix will now bring to the table? And then how does that uh, either integrate with or support the other capabilities that the Royal Canadian Navy, if we are alongside a frigate or other vessel, or even within the allied communities, uh, you know, Asterix does refueling to our NATO partners and, and other partners uh, in Asia and Pacific as well. So it's really having those discussions about this is what we bring to the, the table. And when we are within or close to Navy vessels, what are the standard operating procedures? What are the protocols uh, that we have to uh, sort of develop and follow to ensure that we're adding value and not obviously taking away or degrading capability of, of the navies uh, that are supporting us from a force protection perspective. But then also we have to understand when we're sailing alone, and there are times that you know, there, there isn't a navy or a nice gray vessel in close proximity, you know, in those situations or scenarios, what is the standard operating procedure and how can we employ this capability to, to best provide force protection, balancing that with working with the Federal Fleet master or captain of the ship and the commanding officer of the Naval Replenishment Unit that's on board, uh, how do you work together to ensure that the safety and security of, of Asterix is maintained and that, again, there isn't any overlap or uh, degradation of other capabilities that could be used to counter the, the, the perceived threat. Right, and so that's kind of the whole objective of this, not only to give asterisk the capability, but to develop these tactics, techniques, and procedures. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really interesting because not only is this a detection capability, but there's also the potential to, uh, to evade or render ineffective a potential threat that's mm -hmm. a UAV or a drone. And uh, what I'm referencing is the Dazzler right. um, element to this. Um, I find that really interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, and the, the positive about NIDAR is, uh, we, I've sort of described the, the capabilities that we're bringing on. And the beauty of NIDAR is it's very modular. So if there are other capabilities that Federal Fleet says, you know, hey, you know, next year we want to bring this to the table. Uh, that can easily be integrated with a bit of coordination with Mars to say, we're looking for this type of capability. They obviously have some set standards that they say, well, that type of thing, we work with these things already and they're easily integratable. We can then bolt those things on down the road to say, you know, we have found after using the system for so many months that, you know, our next bound or our next plan to enhance this capability, we would like to look at XYZ or ABC. And that's that's the positive nature of NIDAR. It's not a, okay, we got to buy a new system. No, we just have to buy that sensor or that capability and bring it to the core that's already installed on Asterix. And so we'll, we'll use the tools we have. We'll get, you know, become experts at them, really uh, feel our way through over the next six months and then make any adjustments. But from a countering a drone or countering a small craft, we do have a few tools in our tool chest with the capabilities that I mentioned. Um, not only a laser dazzler, uh, the searchlight could be used as a deterrent, uh, you know, especially at night. If you have a, a drone that has an IR capability, uh, you can all of a sudden blind them. Uh, the loud hailer as well from a small craft capability, uh, it's being able to, to tell someone that, you know, we see you and we, we would like you to, um, you know, change your course of action. 
And so, yeah, we, we have a few tools from the counter perspective. Uh, and like I said, the beauty of NIDAR is we can expand on that if we feel is, is necessary down the road that we want to add other tools or capabilities to provide a, a, a bigger, both from a detection uh, and you know those eyes and ears, but also from a countermeasure perspective. Yeah, right on. And um, so you know you referenced in your presentation the consoles that are going to be uh, on the bridge of the asterisk. Um, I had the opportunity a little bit earlier to take a look at the bridge, and there's you know a lot of real estate there, so it's a it's just a great spot, obviously, to put a console of this nature. Um, to what degree is this system automated in terms of both detection and, I guess, the type of action you might want to take in, in terms of countering any threat, potential right. threat? Yeah, so I'll just start and really reiterate. NIDAR will autonomously do an analysis of what it sees and hears and present that information to the operator. At no time will it activate or engage a capability or uh, not sensor, but for example, uh, it'll see, see or hear something, it'll determine that it's a track or a target, it'll put it on the screen, it will orientate the camera to that track or thing, but that that's the extent it will go, and then it'll, it'll ask the operator, please conduct your own analysis of this thing based on the information that I'm providing you, is it safe or is it a threat? Once you say it's safe, I was it'll turn green and neither wants to say it won't ignore it, but it'll still be there. But if it's, you determine it's a threat, or you're not sure and you just say, well, I'll make it a threat right now, that's when NIDAR will then, as I said before, present you with those other options to counter that threat or get better situational awareness of exactly what it is. Things like it would say, would you like to turn the camera on? I have a camera that can see that, and but it takes the operator to tap that button to turn that camera on, to display it on the screen. Right. Same thing with the loud hailer. It'll say, well, there's a small craft coming close. Uh, the loud hailer on the port side is available. Would you like to employ it operator? And the operator has to tap that button to say, yes. Start energizing the loud hailer. The operator has to select the volume. The operator has to select whether it's a tone or whether it's a recorded message. And the operator has to press that button to turn it on and to turn it off. So. From an autonomy perspective, NIDAR will do its analysis based on its data set in the servers on board autonomously, and it'll look and hear for those targets, and it'll present them autonomously to the operator on the bridge on the screens. From that point on, it is up to the operator to tell NIDAR what to turn on, what to turn off, uh, what to engage, what to not to engage. Uh, it, it is completely a human uh, intervention and human decision making for action. And that's one of the really positive things about NIDAR. It's just not off going on its own, turning on spotlights and, right. and uh, doing things it sees that it should do. The operator always has to provide a command or a tap to tell it, I want you to do X, Y, or Z. So right. uh, from a safety and you know, owning the decision making, it is the, the bridge team and our partners with the Canadian Forces and the Royal Canadian Navy uh, it'll be their decision-making to implement uh, a solution against that that track or that target. Oh, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. Th that was a kind of clarification. I was looking to try and understand the autonomous aspect in terms of detection and then the mm -hmm. actual control aspect where you have to kind of figure out how you want to react 
to whatever you see. Right. Um, thank you very much. This has been really interesting. I'm excited to see this uh, on the ship installed and uh, and out at sea. I think it'll be a great capability for Asterisk and for Federal Fleet. What a what a fantastic initiative. Yeah, thanks for your time. I'm actually, uh, being on the office side, I'm actually, uh, after all the work to get NIDAR operational on board, uh, half of me wants to actually uh, uh, sit on that first sail and actually uh, go out with her to, to see see it in action, uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, I'm handing it over to the, the, the crew and, and the master of the ship, and I hope that the, I hope that they provide positive feedback and, and really say, yeah, this is, this is a, uh, really enhances our capability in terms of, as I keep saying, you know, extending the eyes and ears of Asterix to have better situational awareness. Well, Thanks. you know, it's kind of interesting that you say that because uh, it's a great way to close off this discussion because the Asterix is very much a multi-role ship. Absolutely. Yes, its primary role is to deliver fuel to the fleet, but it's a supply ship as well, and, and it can do so much more. You know, it's got a huge flight deck, so you can, you know, do helicopter operations, mm -hmm. and it's got a fantastic hospital aboard. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, this is just adding to the capability, and uh, I think it's a fantastic initiative. So thank you again very much for taking the time to speak with me. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely those of the participants. This podcast is copyright and all rights are reserved. No portion may be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher who can be reached at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. The music on this podcast is Parasail by Silent Partner.